0: talking to some brothers last night we had a great time of of fellowship and I was talking with them and we were talking about the decisions that we made when we decided to give our lives to God and the words that came that informed those decisions and the decisions that we made that set the course for our lives and we were Thinking of those we love who might feel a little bit lost or confused and wanting to give them the same sense of purpose and direction, meaning, that we were grateful that God had brought into our lives. We haven't arrived. We still want more of it. We're still desperate for more of God's help, more of His grace, amen. But I told the brothers in the car last night that for me personally, when my time came to make a decision, it wasn't as noble as maybe for some others. For me, it wasn't like I was full of the fear of eternal judgment, nor was it like I was enthralled with the glory and worthiness of God, but really it just came down to the fact that I knew that I had been loved. Not so much by God, but by people. I knew that I had been selflessly loved by my parents. And it wasn't a love that happened in a moment, it really was a love that was faithful through a lifetime. And At the time, if I was the center of the decision, if self was the center of the decision, I can tell you that the appeal of sin was far more powerful to my flesh than the anchors that would hold me in love. And yet, when it came down to the decisions, I... I didn't find it within me. I didn't have it within me to hurt love. I just couldn't do it. If I was the only one in the equation I would have gone headlong into sin. But because of others I couldn't bring it I couldn't get to that place. Amen. And then I think that once I acknowledged and accepted the pull of love and the demands of love then after that I started hearing the why why was love right and that's when the truth started coming it had been coming my whole life but it's when I, I started opening my heart to it and really receiving it amen so love wouldn't let me go and then truth gave me the reason why not. Amen? And I think then the next step, if you're still bearing with me, was I said, well, if I'm not going to live for myself, hedonism sounded very enticing. Amen? But if I'm not going to live for myself, I sure don't want to be a bump on a log here for God either. If I'm going to give my life, if I'm going to make a decision that's going to set the course of my life, I don't want to do it by halves. I don't want to dabble in it. I don't want to be the double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways and shall receive nothing from the Lord. I want to get all in. Unashamedly. I remember that there was a certain crowd of so-called friends, they were more keen to discern when I had made the decision, perhaps, than I was. And words spread like wildfire, and I think the exact phrase was, he's gone holy. Maybe none of y'all have ever heard that. Have any of y'all ever heard that? But what it was is, I, I, I didn't want to be miserable. If you're living for yourself, then the kingdom of God is the most miserable place on earth for you. It's a place where you can't get anything. You can't get anywhere. It's an unhappy place because it's a place that invites you to die. To the flesh. To the sinful nature. Amen? It's like hanging around a morgue all the time. That's what it feels like to the flesh. It's a tomb. It's an invitation to death. And the only reason you would embrace that death, you would accept that death, is if you saw something beyond it that was worth the humility, the brokenness, the abasement, the loss that the death entailed. Thank you, Jesus. I'll never forget when the Lord gave me a revelation, and it was so simple. When I say it, you won't even hardly know it was a revelation. But I was reading my Bible, and I read, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. There's no reason for anybody to repent. There's no reason for anybody to die if they don't see the kingdom of heaven at hand. God never says, repent, period. He never says, humble yourself, period. He never says, fall on the rock and be broken, period. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, humble yourself, and you will be lifted up. Amen? He says, surrender your way to the Lord, and he will bring it to pass. He gives you the reason and the incentive. Amen? And isn't that what it says about Jesus? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that what it says about Jesus? Why did He endure the cross? Did He enjoy its shame? Did He revel in the cross? No, it says He endured the cross and he despised and scorned its shame. Shame is a powerful thing. It's so powerful, if he hadn't dismissed it and put it behind him, it could have kept him from the eternal purpose of his life. Shame is a powerful thing. If you don't learn to despise it and put it to the side, it will keep you from the eternal purpose of God for your life. But it says he despised the power of shame, the influence of embarrassment. He despised it, scorning the cross, despising the shame. Why? Why did he do all this? For the joy set before him. He was able to see through the immediate loss and death of his will. And even his life. And see past that to a place he wanted to get to with God. He wanted to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. You remember the parable where Jesus says, What shall the kingdom of God be compared to? It is like a man. A wealthy man. He's acquired possessions throughout his career, I'm paraphrasing. But then one day somebody comes and tells him about a field, and in that field there is a treasure, there is a pearl that is more valuable than the the accumulated wealth, wealth of his entire life. And Jesus is saying this is what the kingdom of God is like, and he says, So out of grudging obligation, the man went and sold everything he had and bought that field because he didn't want to go to hell. Somebody said no. Was that you, Daniel? Is that what he compares the kingdom of God to? What does he say? This man with wealth, this man with options, this man with possessions, this man with a career who gave it all up. You know, He says that in Luke. He says, unless you're willing to forsake everything, you cannot be my disciples. Are you willing to forsake everything? There are people in this room who have forsaken things that you would dream of. Houses and lands, careers, great lawyers, up-and-coming politicians servants of the state, successful businesses, multi-millionaires, they sit all around you. What made them choose this life? Was it because God grabbed them by the arm and said, you got to do this or I'm not going to let you go to heaven? Is that why? No, I'm telling you it's because they saw something that in a Revelation, they realized, was more valuable than all they had accumulated throughout the rest of their life. And what, when Jesus says the kingdom of God shall be compared to, and he tells the story of the, the merchant, what does he say? Prompts the man to sell everything he has. Obligation. Capitulation. What makes the man sell everything he has? I can't hear you. It says when he hears about the costly field that hides the pearl, it says that for joy over it, he sells everything he has. And he buys that one field. Amen. Because there's something there that everything else that he's ever acquired never gave him. There's meaning buried in that field. Amen. There's answers buried in that field. There's purpose buried in that field. There's power buried in that field. There's love in that field. Amen. And the thought of all of that fills this guy with joy and he goes out on a selling spree and he gets rid of everything that would keep him from taking possession of that field. So if you're having a hard time giving up on the cheap things of this world, it's because you need to get yourself a bigger picture of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Because if you ever saw, if you ever felt the kingdom of God at your fingertips, it says the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's right there, it's within reach. If you ever felt the kingdom of God at your fingertips, it would excite you. It would thrill you. And in a flash, you'd say, God, what do I have to do to get into this? And he would hear him say, you have to surrender. You have to take off your crown. You have to fall on the rock and be broken. You have to come to repentance. And it's going to feel like death. But it's a death in order to get to a resurrection. Amen? It's not death. Literally, I'm saying it's a death of your ambitions. It's the death of your own godhood. Amen, but it's, there's a resurrection. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I see a lot of people who think they wanna do this, but they're walking around living a half-dead life and living a half-living existence. It's like they're half in the kingdom and half in the world. And they can't quite enjoy all the hedonism of the world. And they can't quite take possession of all the fulfillment of the kingdom. And they're caught, these meridian men, they're caught in between. They can't quite make up their minds. And that's who James was talking about. You're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. You'll receive nothing from the Lord. You're gonna end up going back to hedonism because at least that's something you can get your carnal hands on. But there's something buried in your heart. There's a longing, there's a hunger, there's a belief, a faith that there's something more. And you're giving up on yourself, you're giving up on God, and you're giving up on that belief whenever you just capitulate and start sliding back toward hedonism. But don't blame God if you're disinherited tonight. Don't blame God because you never sold everything. And I'm not talking about literally. You never gave up everything. And so if you walk away sad, if you come with bright eyes and open arms, you come with expectation and joy, and then you walk away downcast, Remember the man who came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, You know the commandments. Do not steal, so on and so forth. And he said to Jesus, he said, All of these I have kept since my youth. And Jesus didn't say, You have a little too much. I want you to get rid of it. He said, One thing you lack. You lack something. You haven't found the field. You haven't unearthed the pearl. You haven't discovered the riches and the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ. The riches of his glorious inheritance that is in the saints. You're a legalist. You're an externalist. But you're disinherited. And Jesus asked this man to make the exchange. To give up his ashes and to get beauty. To give up his Merchant's collection, and to get the costly field that hid the pearl. He said, One thing you lack give up, sell all that you have, give it away to the poor, and come and follow me. You've never been a follower. There is this big gaping lack in your life because you've never, you've never walked with God, you've never had a purpose. You've never walked one step behind the master and known why you were on this earth. There's a hunger, there's a lack in your life. So give up all the things that keep this lack from being met and fulfilled. If you're a double-minded man, I, I remember my dad saying that there are two kinds of people Illustrated there in the book of Genesis after the flood covers the earth and death and decay set in and the ark teeters to the top of what is that Mount Ararat, teeters to the top of Mount Ararat and rests there and judgment is everywhere, decay. Disease, death, everywhere. Dead bodies everywhere. Noah goes out. He doesn't want to leave the ark until he knows that life has begun anew. He's trusting God. He's wanting to do it exactly as God said. So he sends a bird out. What does he send out first? He sends a vulture out. And what happens to the vulture? The vulture finds fulfillment in a world under judgment. The vulture never comes back to the ark, nor does he find any green branches. The vulture finds the life he was looking for because the vulture is made to live off of disease, off of decay, off of death. And then he sends out a dove. And the dove comes back and he says, There's nothing out there. It's only death. Take me back inside the ark. So he sends him out a second time. And life had begun. But he brought back that twig. You remember? What kind of person are we? See, if I see disinherited people in the kingdom of God, if I see people who are incapable of coming all the way in and taking possession of their purpose, of their place, of God's inheritance for them, if I see people incapable of finding the joy that would warrant the sacrifice, then I'm going to look a little closer. And I'm afraid what I'm going to find is people who enjoy carnage. People who still find some fulfillment off of the death of the world. People who are still feeding on the, what the world can offer. So you've got to make up your mind, what kind of person are you? There's a vulture in every one of us, and there's a dove, a child of peace that God would bring forth. And if you get a kick out of the world you're never going to go back to the ark. If you can get a kick out of the world, if you can find that thrill, it doesn't matter if it's in economy, it doesn't matter if it's in entertainment, and pop culture. If you get a kick out of the world then you're never going to develop enough of a hunger to make the sacrifice to inherit the eternal promise that waits for you in the kingdom. So what kind of person are you? A dove? Or the other kind? Amen. We got to make some decisions, don't we? We got to put this old flesh on a diet, don't we? We got to put it on a long fast. We got to deny it. We got to take up our cross and follow him. Deny it deny it. Say no. That's what the grace of God does for us. It teaches us when and how and where to say no. No, I'm not going to do that. Something in us that wants that old death, you know. Something in us that hmm, I recognize that. That's what, that's what I used to live off of when I was a vulture. Where's that? It must be over there. I wonder what this music is like. I wonder what this there's something in us. It catches our attention, doesn't it? It's rot. It's death and decay. It's not life. No love comes out of it. No life comes out of it. Only death. Look at the end of it. It's only death. Amen. There's a place. There's a garden. Where God would allow us to eat of the tree of life. How hungry do you have to get? You know, the world can titillate you. It can distract you. It can entertain you. It can wow you. Was not John the Revelator wowed? Hmm? It says that he marveled at Babylon and the beast. Whoa, did you see that? Why do you marvel? But there's something in a child of God. There is, a, there is a different kind of hunger put inside of you. Where you cultivate a craving for the things of God, for the things of love, for the things of truth. Amen? Amen. And if you don't cultivate that, if you don't work at it, if you don't strive to exercise your senses, to get beyond milk, if you don't develop that excitement, if you don't work on it, you're gonna settle for the cheap and easy. You're gonna settle for the death and decay. Amen? But Job said, I consider the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I ask you young people, do you feel that way? What gets your heart to pound I'll tell you completely honestly, when I was your age, when I was 18, 17, what got my heart to pounding was when I started seeing the truth. I saw what held people in bondage. I saw what made them powerless. I saw it, oh God. And something rose up in my heart and said, people could know the truth and they could be set free. But there were times, there were times when I was tempted to go satisfy myself like a vulture instead of looking, searching. Where's that green leaf in this world of death? God, what are you doing? Where's a little spark of life? Where's a little fruit on the tree of life? Do you have that kind of hunger? Job, Job. This man was covered with boils, open sores. He had lost his children. He had lost his family. He's miserable, and his wife says, curse God and die. And he says, I consider the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Isn't he saying the same thing Moses said in Deuteronomy 8 when he told the children of Israel, the Lord led you through the wilderness And he allowed you to hunger and he humbled you so that you would come to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need to pray that. You need to say, God, allow me to hunger. Humble me through that hunger. Develop in me a hunger and a need that this world can't satisfy. What a mercy! I don't want to put you on the spot, but look at Brother Brian and Sister Derek Claiborne. Ask them, will the world satisfy the pain, the need? No, it won't. It only addicts you to its appetites so that when you truly become needy and you need something bigger and deeper and more life-giving, you don't know where to find it anymore. Amen but the thing that brings answers, the thing that brings healing, the thing that fulfills is the word of life. Oh God, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus. Hallelujah, thank you Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, that you do not know about so the disciples were saying to one another no one brought him anything to eat did he Jesus was saying to them my food my food my nourishment what puts energy into my always weakening body my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work I've got a purpose I've got a purpose I wasn't sent from the hand of God to go feast on the carnage of a fallen world I was sent to bring life I was sent to bring hope I was sent to bring mercy and love and I got a purpose and I want to fulfill that purpose God how am I supposed to be advancing the purpose for which I was sent into this world do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest behold I say to you, lift up your eyes. Get your vision a little bigger than your feet. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Now I know that The mature in here know exactly what I'm talking about you know what it's like to get the food of God don't you think of Jesus's prayer what is our manna today do we do we live by bread alone today what is our manna today hmm it's the Word of God isn't it why do you think Jesus said in his prayer our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, he says he wants God's kingdom and will to come, but a kingdom, it takes effort. It takes energy, and energy must be replenished if it would not be exhausted, amen? So then as soon as he talks about the kingdom coming, he prays that the provision... Amen. Hallelujah. El Shaddai, the blessing giver, the provider. Thank you, Jesus will come. He says, the word bread, I believe, even is, uh, shares the root. Amen. The bread. Give us this day. If you're building the kingdom, you need some food. You need some drink. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. Why does he say two times in one prayer that it has to be the bread for today? This day, our daily. He repeats it. Because the kingdom is going to stall. It's going to stop advancing. Have you ever seen a work crew starve? They're not going to work very well, are they? The kingdom's going to stop being built if people stop eating the bread if people stop living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, amen? So he lets them hunger and he humbles them to teach them how badly they need every word that God would speak to them, amen? And I'll tell you something, if you would stop living for yourself and you would start living for God and for people, you would start living for love, you would become so hungry, you would become so hungry. If you ever started loving people, you would realize how inadequate the flesh is to meet the needs of others. If you ever started loving people, if you ever started laying down your life for people, you would realize just how needy you were. And that neediness, that hunger, would create an expectation and a faith in you, and you would start finding the green branches. You would start hearing from God. You would start encountering His Spirit. But you've got to put yourself in the position of inadequacy first before the Lord is going to be made. His power is going to be made perfect in your weakness. Thank you, Jesus. You've got to get out there and try to love people. You've got to lay down your life. What, what made the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter was sick, oppressed by the devil? Do you remember? What made her pound after Jesus? Jesus would eventually tell her, woman, great is your faith. I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. What gave her that faith? You know what gave her faith in God? Is losing faith in herself. Her daughter had been sick for a long time. And this woman just couldn't stand by and let that daughter waste away one day longer. She had tried everything in her strength and when she didn't have what her daughter needed, it propelled her after God. She ran after Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Please help me. And at first, Jesus rebuffed her. He told her he couldn't help her. What will make you willing to accept the discipline of the Lord, the rebuff, that you've got somebody at home whose needs you can't meet? <laughs> That somebody's counting on you, and you just can't go home empty-handed one more time. I got to get an answer for my kids. I got to get an answer for my wife. I got to get an answer for those that look to me. I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of people in pain, and there is no, there's no feeling in my life that is so painful to me as helplessness in the face of of hardship or pain among those I love. when I can't do anything, that's the worst. And that's where God and his grace begin, right there, amen. So your kingdom come and your will be done. Your kingdom come and your will be done, and that's gonna make you need the bread. If you don't need the bread, it's because you're not building the kingdom. And what is building the kingdom except loving the people you can't love apart from God? Amen. You're no good for him unless you can get something that's eternal, that's transcendent. Amen. So if you want God to become real in your life, I want you to step out into a place beyond your ability. You'll never know the gifts that are dormant inside of you until you step out into a place that is too big for you to fill. If you'll do that, step out there oh god oh god if it's all about you you know that's a black hole (laughs) it's not gonna work but there's a purpose bigger than you amen i want to tell you a story you never heard before and you know by by my smile that i'm lying i want to tell you a story you've heard so many times but listen one more time once there was a nation who claimed that God was their strength, who claimed that the Lord was their front guard and their rear guard, who claimed that their battles were, were fought and won at His mighty hand. And one day, this nation was all arrayed and ready for battle, and a warrior came out from the enemy camp and started making fun of them. And everybody on the side of God's nation, they got terribly afraid. The king was afraid. The soldiers were afraid. They were shaking in their boots. And meanwhile, a dad said, Son, I want you to take some lunch to your brothers who are in the war. He didn't go down to be a big shot, he didn't go down to be a king. He didn't go down to be a warrior. He didn't go down to kill a giant. He went down to give lunch to his brothers. But you gotta put yourself in the position of impossibility before you'll ever know what incredible miracles will come from your obedience. Amen. You gotta hear what the giant is saying about God before it's gonna burn in your heart to say something that will rectify this imbalance. So he went down there, and what did he say? He said, who is this this Gentile? Who is this guy who would defy the armies of God? This is the man who was said, he was called the man after God's own heart because it wasn't his plan. It wasn't his strategy, it wasn't his long-term vision for himself. He was just taking lunch. But when he encountered this defiance, this belittling mockery of his God, something erupted from inside, from his heart not from his mind, not from his training, but from inside, and he said, no, no, this can't happen. God is bigger than that. God is more worthy than that. Has that ever erupted from your heart? Have you ever heard God get in the black eye and something erupt from, wait a minute, that's not what it's about. Remember what David said, Samuel had said that God would raise up a man after, after his own heart. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? How many are good with reproach? How many are used to reproach? How many have been on the battlefield so long that you need someone who doesn't realize the situation to come in anew and realize how bad it's gotten? How many are okay with reproach? How many think reproach is somebody else's responsibility? How many feel that way? There's a reproach on the church today. The apostle Peter said because of the deceiving False prophets that would come into the church. He said because of them, the way of the truth would be maligned, would be mocked. Amen? There's a reproach on the body of Christ today. It's so, it's so enmeshed and confused with the world, we can't tell the difference between the world and Christ. There's a reproach. The image of Jesus has been smeared over by so many other images The Lamb of God has become invisible. The city of light is boarded up. They've all left and gone to the world's shining lights. They've gone on vacation in Las Vegas. The kingdom is in ruins. The temple is desecrated, which is the church of the living God. The abomination is already there. And everybody's sitting around looking at the problem. But God is looking for a man after his own heart. He's looking for somebody to get close to the problem and hear it afresh and say, what will be done for the man who will stop this reproach? Have you ever felt that? Or can you be indifferent? Does it matter to you? Remember the spirit of Nehemiah? You remember the spirit of Nehemiah? He went into the king, the king of uh, Cyrus, king of Persia. He went, is that right? Am I go, I've got that right, right? Well, nobody knows, so yeah, I've got it right. He goes into the presence of Cyrus, king of Persia, and, and he's upset, he's downcast. He's, he's sad, he's troubled. And Cyrus says, what's wrong, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah says, how can I be happy when my city is in ruins, when her walls are torn down and her gates are burned with fire? How can I be happy when the house of God is in disrepair? You see, if you don't feel that way about your kingdom, then you're not a man after God's own heart. You think the kingdom is about you instead of realizing that your purpose and destiny is to do the will of him who sent you and to finish his work. Your kingdom come, your will be done, just give me enough bread to do it. Your kingdom come, your will be done, just give me enough bread to do it. I've got a purpose on this earth and I have no food except to fulfill that purpose. Do you feel that way? Do you look at areas in your life, your family, do you look at areas and do you, does something come in your heart and say what will be done to the man who will stop this reproach? I'm telling you that's the spirit that gave birth to this community. That's the spirit that led us out of East 14th Street, out of the slums of Manhattan, across the river and eventually to Colorado That's the spirit that gave birth dissatisfaction with the status quo when the status quo has become reproach. Are you that kind of person? Thank you, Jesus. David says, I was mute and silent. I refrained from even good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me. I want to hear words from the man after God's own heart. Do you? I want to hear how he thought about it. What made him say that? What made him, what disallowed the shrugging of the shoulders and the flippant dismissal? Oh, well, Saul will figure it out. Oh, well, my big brothers, they're big enough to figure this out. Just ask him. He tells us what he felt like when he suppressed the zeal that God had put in his heart. When I was mute and silent, I refrained even from good. And my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me. David says when he, when he kept back from speaking the word of God, his heart grew hot. It burned inside of him. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Musing means thinking about it. I hope that God is lighting a fire inside of some of your hearts tonight because it's lit inside of mine. While I was thinking about it, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. What did he say? When it finally burst forth, what made him be quiet? And then when he finally broke out, what made him do it? He says this. Then I spoke with my tongue, quote, Lord, make me to know my end and what are the extents of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made all my days as handbreadths. You can be quiet if you think that life is going to go on forever. You can be quiet if you think you're going to live forever. You can be quiet if you think this opportunity is going to be here forever. But if you realize how fleeting your life really is, it's going to burst out of you. i got to do something. What will be done for the man who will stop this reproach? My lifetime is as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. How many of you are already quoting in your mind the words of Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a prophet, and there was a time when he gave up. There was a time when he said, I will speak no more in his name. I can't do this anymore. They don't love me. They don't receive me. I just got to stop. Can I read you what he said one more time? But if I say, I will not remember God, I will not speak in the Lord's name, then my heart becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. Then in my heart it becomes, the word becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am exhausted of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. This is how the kingdom advances, brothers and sisters by men after God's own heart. Anybody thinking song of Isaiah 62? For Zion's, what does it say? For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. For self's sake, will I keep silent? Mm-hmm. For self's sake, will I keep quiet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's called the black hole of me for Jerusalem and for Zion, for the kingdom of God, for what we're supposed to be, for what the church is supposed to be. I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a blazing torch. Amen. I'm going to read you one more scripture and then I'm done. This also is David, the man after God's own heart. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired. God doesn't want Our big efforts. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but my ear you have opened. God just wants you to listen to him. He doesn't want you to show how religious you are. He just wants you to listen. Burnt offering and sin offerings you have not required. What does God require? But then I said, behold, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know. God knows he won't. (laughs) I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. Now what does that mean? Does it not say that David hid, hid the Lord's truths in his heart? But then here he says, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart, I, but he juxtaposes it. He shows us what he's talking about. He says, I have not hidden your righteousness in my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O oh Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want to be a man like David. I want to ask the Lord what will be done for the man who will take away this reproach. and What will be done for him is he will live in the pleasure of his king. He will be fed from the table of his king. He will serve in the kingdom of his king. And he will hear his king say, well done, my good and faithful servant, one day. Not well thought, not well planned, not well discussed, not well seen. Well done. Well done. This was somebody who just couldn't sit by This was somebody for whom it it burned in their heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, does anything burn in your heart that way? Does anything? Has God put a burden on your heart like that? Does anything burn in your heart like that? Thank you, Jesus. If you could find what could make you that excited, then you would find a reason big enough to repent. Repent. You'd find the kingdom of God for which it's worth repenting. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anything burning your heart like that? Loved ones, Syrophoenician woman, anything? The temple, the city of God, Nehemiah, anything? The welfare of God's people? The purpose, amen. I want to hear him say, I was hungry and you fed me. I want to hear him say, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I want to hear him say, I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I want to hear him say that I made the difference, that I found the reason why I was on this earth. I want to hear him say, you were a man after my own heart. He told Saul that. That's what Samuel told Saul. He says, God's, gonna, God's done with you. He can't use you anymore. But he said, the Lord is searching, and he's going to find a man after his own heart who will walk in his ways. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, God, get the, get the raven out of me. Oh, God, get the raven out of me. Lord, make me a child of peace. Make me a son of your kingdom. Jesus, help me see the bigger picture. Help me see the purpose that is big enough to lay down my life for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.